Welcome to JP Morgan TV. I'm Bruce Kasman. With me this week is Mike Hansen. And I guess what we should be focusing on right now continues to be issues around risk. Uh, we know we're in the midst of a environment which is quite unusual. Uh, we've been running an outlook theme of this time is different, but it's been more about the broader trends towards reflation with strong demand and tight supply. But right now we have a different set of shocks hitting the world. We have a shock in terms of commodity prices, uh, which is unusual, I think, in at least in one respect, because it's coming against the backdrop of broader inflation pressures. We haven't had a shock in the last quarter century where energy prices have gone up a lot, as well as core inflation. And of course, that is providing um, part of the support for uh, central banks, notably the Fed, to be talking about moving more rapidly to normal. But the other side of this, of course, is usually when you get commodity shocks, when you get uh, geopolitical uh, concerns, uh, U.S. Uh, longer-term interest rates are usually rallying. There's usually a risk-off uh, environment. So now we have interest rates on the long end going up and actually going up quite a bit more rapidly than we've seen in recent Fed tightenings. So it's this environment of rising inflation spurred partly by recent commodity shocks and rising interest rates that raise some real immediate concerns uh, on the growth side. Uh, certainly, uh, one important issue here is whether financial conditions will actually not only tighten, but generate stress. And Mike, you've been looking at that carefully this week. Why don't you take us through what you've been sort of uh, understanding, looking at the issues around stress and global financial conditions? Sure. Yes. So like you said, we've got a a bevy of shocks, but I think the important one that we haven't talked about before is the fact that with the notable, you know, further tightening of monetary policy, not just in the Fed forecast, but really uh, through a number of central banks, particularly uh, notable movements in the in the DM now, where we're up, say, you know, 65 basis points from where we we're at the beginning of the year in terms of the amount of rate hikes we'll get this by the end of this year. Uh, that's really putting some pressure on financial conditions and therefore, you know, runs the risk of spilling over into, you know, impacts in, in Europe in particular, but also, you know, concerns in EM, which is often a place that you think is most exposed to tightening of financial conditions, right? So, for example, in the U.S., we now have, um, you know, 10-year treasuries flirting with 250. Um, and we've seen- for Which, by the way, is our year-end forecast. Is basically. our year-end forecast. That is correct. <laughs> and of course, it's against a backdrop where oil's at about 120 today, right? Which is above our forecast for this coming quarter, let alone for the year as a whole. Exactly. And, and so part of what's going on there, of course, you're seeing inflation expectations pick up even in the, against this backdrop of central banks uh, expected to tighten policy further. Um, and so as a result, for example, in the U.S., you've seen a really sizable move higher in mortgage rates, right? Mortgage rates are, are up over 100 basis points since, uh, call it mid-December, uh, about 60 basis points this month. Um, and that's obviously an important uh, channel through monetary transmission, right? The way Fed policy works in part is by making it uh, more expensive to build and buy homes. Uh, and that looks like it's you know, a, a pretty big move right there just from the U.S. perspective alone. And as we can probably talk a bit more about, you're seeing you know, similar signs of, of stress, I think, elsewhere in the world. Uh, it's before we mix. go to elsewhere in the world, I mean, isn't it kind of interesting that outside of the rise in 
interest rates in mortgages and in some other credits, which is a drag, we're really not seeing the kind of other things that would tend to magnify these shocks, right? Not in the U.S. at least. So not in the U.S. I mean, you, you certainly have seen globally some sell-off in equities, but conversely, I think we'd be more concerned if we saw significant tightening in the, in the credit markets, right? And so you've seen some move up in EM credit spreads, but not at levels that really are particularly concerning. Um, you know, perhaps where you want to focus right now would be maybe in, in Central and Eastern Europe, where we've seen a, a decent move there. Uh, and that is, of course, a place where the, the kind of the confluence of shocks is potentially most pronounced, right? Um, you've seen some indication that funding, uh, you know, considerations uh, are maybe a little tighter in the euro area. Um, but again, none of the, you know, all of these are pointing to tightening financial conditions. None of these are pointing to very strong indications of stress. We haven't seen, for example, big outflows um, of capital from the EM space. Um, yeah, so that's an interesting one. I think in particular, it's also accompanied by the fact that the dollar really hasn't moved. And uh, obviously, the dollar moving up might actually be welcome from the Fed's point of view here, because it may uh, create a little more disinflationary impulse. But from a growth point of view, the dollar isn't getting the kind of big risk-off lift that it oftentimes gets uh, that actually creates more of a drag on growth for the U.S. Right. And the flip side of that is you've got uh, stability, for example, in a number of EM currencies. You've even seen EM commodity exporters' currencies actually appreciate, which, again, is unusual in kind of a risk-off environment. Uh, and the fact that you've got some stability in the currency is another sign that you're not seeing uh, acute pressures in the EM space where you would potentially get, you know, balance of payment stresses and, and capital flight, with some exception, perhaps in the frontier countries, which are, I, are kind of in a more challenging situation in some instances. Yeah. So let's turn to another potential source of risk. We saw this week some pretty significant declines in consumer uh, confidence and even in business sentiment, at least in terms of um, the European uh, series in terms of IFO and future output in the PMIs. Uh, that's a different channel by which we could get into trouble here. How worried should we be about that? Yeah, it's it's certainly the case that whenever you have this kind of a geopolitical shock, you have this kind of uncertainty, you're, you're going to get a sharp move, right? And the real question is, is this going to be sustained? So a one-month move may not necessarily itself be a signal. But it does seem like you know you're seeing it in businesses, you're seeing it in consumers, and consumer confidence levels have come down quite notably. Um, so there certainly is some risk that if this were to persist, uh, and if there's any signal from you know say the IFO expectations component or the future output you know measure for what we're going to get down the road, then that is more concerning for sure, right? So we're really kind of waiting to see. We, as you mentioned, we got the flash PMIs through the DM this week. The headline numbers were actually a bit better than expected, all things considered, right? We knew that the uh, fading of the Omicron shock in the DM space was likely going to give you some upside lift in, in services. We did see that. The oil shock was probably going to be a bit of a drag uh, on the manufacturing side, and we thought it would be heavily concentrated in Europe. It was, but it wasn't quite as large as we anticipated. So that's actually, you know, so far so good, perhaps. But those those expectations well, components uh, are, are weak. Let, let's think about it in terms of what's coming. Um, you know, I'd, I'd say this sentiment issue is one that connects to our baseline forecast that because companies have a lot of vacancies, they'll continue to hire even with some uncertainty about the future, that consumers, even with a squeeze on purchasing power and a fall in sentiment, 
that they'll be willing to smooth their spending through that by drawing on what is a pretty um, healthy reservoir of excess savings. Um, the proof, though, is, of course, in the pudding. Uh, we get March employment uh, next week in the U.S. That's really the first important round of hard activity data. Uh, we'll follow that up with the China data dump not too far uh, beyond that. Um, what's the what's the call on the data uh, that we're expecting for March? Yeah, well, the U.S., as you point out, looks like it's still you know doing quite fine despite some of these shocks. Uh, and so we are looking for, again, a pretty solid uh, jobs report, 550 in terms of payroll employment, unemployment rate ticking down further. To that's more than solid. I'd say that's boomy. But, uh, <laughs> well, that's fair. It just depends on the context you want to put it in, uh, given the, the recovery, the dynamics that have been in place. But that's a fair point. Uh, but the contrast is is China, right? Uh, you know, Omicron is just maybe peaking in China now. They have uh, have obviously the zero COVID policy still in place. So they've put uh, a number of lockdowns in place across the country. Um, and so that has really put some notable uh, drag into the near term outlook. We are looking for soft data in March and April in China. But then once that fades, we are looking for a decent sized rebound in May. I think the open question there is how much additional policy support we might get on top of that, given the data may be more disappointing than uh, you know previously anticipated in the near term. So let's maybe end there. I mean, I think the basic point is we are nervous about the drag. We haven't talked about the invasion itself, and there's always the risk here that we're going to get surprised by a more abrupt pullback in, in Russian uh, exports. That's certainly a a risk we have for the uh, European economies, uh, particularly. Um, but we should also just note, as we kind of focus on near-term downside growth risks, that the failure for them to to materialize in a world in which inflation pressure is broad-based uh, is a story about a Fed that may have to move even faster than we're forecasting. And also, I think, in response to what would be potentially inflation pressures that become more entrenched, even once we start to fade some of the uh, the near-term uh, pressures on energy and, and supply chain uh, pressures that have been with us for a while now. So with that bright note, I don't think it's a very bright note, but uh, we're kind of got a devil in the deep blue sea story. One, if one doesn't get you, the other will here. Uh, but with that, let's, uh, let's end and hope that we can continue this conversation next week on JP Morgan TV.